going back to the vulnerable thing, like sometimes putting everything on the table and letting everybody know exactly where we are now. Where are we right now? Good, bad, and otherwise. And it's the bad and otherwise piece that I'm focusing on. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I'm your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you are subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. Transparency and vulnerability are crucial for being a people first leader. So are you allowing your team to put everything on the table? And are you yourself putting everything on the table? You'll hear from John Hawley in this episode about how he uses his skills as a master facilitator to be a people first leader. So let's dive on in. Today on the Leading People First podcast, I have the incredible master facilitator, father, husband, Virginia Tech Hokie, lukewarm Steeler fan, unicycle riding, military man, jokester, forever learner, John Hawley. And who better to introduce him than Andrew McCoy, who shared some words of praise saying, John is one of the most enthusiastic, energetic, raw talents I have met. 10 minutes with him and you feel empowered to reach into yourself and be better. Welcome to the podcast, John Hawley. Hey, thank you very much for having me. That was a cool, uh, that was a cool intro. That's awesome. <laughs> thank you. Glad you, glad you enjoy it. Well, to kick this off, one of your mentors, Brandon Hart told you, if you were going to try something, don't try it unless you're going to try it to be the best. And that led you to realize that you really needed to drive, uh, you needed the drive to be an amazing facilitator. So what have you done this week? to make yourself the best? Gosh, that is a fantastic question. This week, um, I'm going to take that question and extrapolate it to the last seven days. So, uh, cause we're, we're sort of in the middle of it right now, but, uh, at the end of last week, uh, I kind of had this epiphany of bringing in the best of the best. Uh, even if I have to suck up my pride to, to say, hey, I don't know what you know, and and you know you can carry the weight here for the knowledge that you do have, and kind of surrounding myself with people that plus me up. That's kind of the the thing that I have been focusing on for the last uh, seven days or so. That is awesome. Yeah, the the people around us can really uh, level us up. Uh, so have surrounding ourselves, you know, with those amazing people is uh, is really important. Heck yeah. So I'm a huge Disney fan. It seems like your family is too. And one of the big lessons that you had at the Disney Institute was that it's all about people and their experience. So what does it mean to you to lead people first? You know, I think that you have to put yourself in the shoes of other people. I mean, you've heard that a thousand times, but what I mean by that is like truly think of it through the lens of the people that you're doing things for or with. And like to relate this directly to what I do as a profession facilitating, you know, put yourself in the situation where, okay, now I'm in this mindset where I'm about to attend this workshop that I potentially don't want to be part of that I was made to attend by my boss. And here's this guy, John, who's starting us out. And then think to yourself, like, am I bored? Am I overwhelmed? Am I anxious? Uh, did he not give me the right information for X, Y, and Z? Was I prepped for it? So truly to put yourself in the position of the people that 
like, how would you want to attend this thing? You know, ask yourself, who do I follow? Why do I follow them? And what makes me trust them? Um, I think that's everything that I just said is kind of about being human and actually caring about what you portray, who follows you and why, or why you follow other people. And, you know, I think that you ask those questions and you get to understand them a little bit deeper and you have a little bit better connection and you care more about them, not only them, but maybe the outcome. Uh, so that was like, I call that kind of like brain vomit. It's basically all the things on my head that, that kind of answer the, the bell on leading people first. It's the human element for sure. Yeah. Again, the, the human element is something that is just, I, I find is so often forgotten, right. In, in business in work, um, because we're, we're there to churn either out a service or a product or whatever it is. And when we forget about that people element of those that, you know, are supporting casts, those that are around us. So it's, it's so important. And, you know, understanding the background, like for you as a facilitator, you need to understand your audience. It's all about, you know, understanding their experience, the background, or as much as you can. And so to go into your background, right? You grew up in a military family. You went to the Navy, into the Navy yourself, uh, and you are now a, this master facilitator. And I've heard, heard you share two stories that seem to be focal points in your life. One was getting in trouble in the military and having to present this really dull training to a large group, which you then, you know, revamped essentially and made fun. And then the other was getting appendicitis and honing in on what you really wanted to do, which is what you do now. While those were, I definitely think, life-changing moments for you, right, for your profession, I'd like to know what were the major moments in your life that made you realize that you were learning to lead people first, where you developed this mindset? Dang, that is a phenomenal question. Um, okay, so I, I guess if you start with uh, high school, I guess, would be the first time that I realized that people would either do what I did or um, help me do what I was doing in some way, shape, or form. You know, I was I was a class clown and uh, probably a little bit too disruptive for teachers here and there, but kind of always found a way to make things fun and interesting. And uh, to add to that, I I can't really sit still to save my life. So. Um, you know, and then you go from there, uh, Virginia Tech, um, I had numerous positions. So I was in the, uh, the Corps of Cadets and Navy ROTC. And so that's kind of like a forcing function for leadership. You know, we talk about it all the time, um, but you could talk about it, experience it, but not really truly understand it until later, which I would argue I didn't really truly understand it until probably my junior or senior year, uh, when I got in trouble, which I don't think you've heard that story. That one's, uh, brutal. I, I, uh, well, I'll tell you in two seconds, I, I sent an email that was not very nice, but I accidentally clicked reply all and it went to about 275 people, uh, including some very important ones. And, uh, anyway, so I learned truly what leadership meant at that point And, you know, how to fill that role and ask for help when you need it and whatnot. Um, you know, I, there's stories and stuff that I have on my first ship and my second ship and facilitation. I don't know if you want me to go into those, but, um, 
you know, each, each layer or element that you add is either a, a new one or a tweak on an old one that I learned on yeah. following people and truly caring about the outcome of what you do and the impact that it has on the people that are either following you or want to learn from you or whatnot. And I think it's the influence that you have as that leader to make sure that they're better for it. Totally. I mean, yeah, feel free. Any, any of those stories, uh, if you want to share one right now, okay. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. All right. So on my first ship, so I had a division of about 10 people and uh, I could probably talk about this for hours, but I'll try to be as brief as humanly possible. I, I tried very hard to get the people in the division to like me. I cared almost more about them liking me than actually uh, following me, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Like the, the barrier between being the leader and being the friend and what that means, right? And the chief that was there, him and I and leadership did not get along. So I was in the middle of the chief, the leadership and my division. And I was trying to be the good guy and trying to make sure everybody won. And, you know, the lessons that I learned from that were sometimes being a leader, uh, well, most of the time it's not easy. And in fact, you're not necessarily considered the friend or the friendly face or, you know, at the end of it, the second ship that I had uh, about 60 people in, in my division. And I kind of had a better balance of leadership and friendship, you know, making sure that they actually had a good time. Nuclear power is not necessarily the most exciting thing on, on the planet, uh, at least to me. So kind of keeping, the things that you could keep entertaining, entertaining, you know, all while being safe, of course. So I think there's a, a personal element or a people element to everything, right? You don't just, you may have heard me say this before, but you don't just, uh, if you're the pilot of a plane, you don't just say, Hey, what's going to happen if I do a barrel roll, right? There's always a time and a place for the people element, right? Greeting people coming on and off the plane and, and what you need to do prior to being behind the stick and whatnot. Um, And then I think facilitation was the true aha moment, at least for me on leading people first, which is doing a couple of workshops that were not intended for my audience. And I either crossed the line with how open I wanted them to be and vulnerable when they did not want to be open and vulnerable um, and truly understanding what it meant to make sure that they were confident and comfortable kind of working together towards a, an objective. So I don't know if, I don't know if any of those really uh, <laughs> answer that question. It's kind of all over the map, but. No, that those are great. Uh, I think the first one that you hit on around, especially new people stepping into, into management for the first time or one of the first times that line between being still being that friend and, and holding some sort of position of authority is very difficult, right? Um, that accountability accountability is really tough. Um, and that last one, uh, right, where you just kind of jump into it and you kind of fall into things that, you know, I, I, that was something that I appreci- really appreciate about you and, and who you are. And uh, I, I do have a question about that, but I want to share another piece of praise from Jason Tree, who said, John is bold and energetic. What I love about his style is that he will quote unquote 
out embarrass anyone, not for any sense of competition, but for the sake of making it safe for others to get into the playful mood that is so important for creative and collaborative work. So again, being that vulnerable person really is required for leadership, for good leaders, because you have to be able to show that you're willing to step into it first before anyone else. You know, that's really what leadership is, is, is taking that first step uh, into something that is unknown or uncomfortable. So one of the things that, you know, you and myself as well constantly come up against are executives who are always asking for something like return on investment, right? And you've said this before where the pro, you know, before the problem with that question or the problem with that question, my, my mistake is that if you can't try something or test it to figure out what that answer is in the future, you'll never know the answer, right? And I love how you're always willing, again, to jump into just doing, experimenting, and learning, whether that's powder coating your mailbox, tearing apart your deck, landscaping your yard, adopting in the moment while you facilitate, you know. So how can we create cultures of testing and experimentation in order to innovate rather than having this risk-averse mentality that we often see? I have been preaching for a while that it's always the foundation that you have with your team before you really get started. Um, so it's actually really hard for teams that have already established themselves. They already know who, what, where, when, why, how of their group. They know the strengths and weaknesses and they either exploit those weaknesses or they overuse their strengths, you know, whatever, right? So that's always kind of lopsided. I think it's easier to start a team that doesn't know each other because then you can lay the the foundation and I think creating a safe space above all is the, so what, right? If you have the safe space, then you know that you're not about to get into an argument. If somebody disagrees with you, you know that you're about to get into an awesome conversation on why they disagree with you. So it's even hard for me to do outside of my own little bubble, right? So say for instance, and I don't want to talk about politics, but let's say somebody, you know, disagrees with me in politics the hair stick up on the back of my neck and it's like, Hey, I either don't want to talk about this or uh, I feel like I'm right because of X, Y, and Z. And it's not an iterative thing. It's a me versus you or, you know, it's an not absolute, always the case. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's not always the case. It shouldn't be the case. It should be more of a, Hey, well, can you tell me why you think the way that you do or, or help me help me understand your point of view type of thing. When you are in my bubble, which is, the workshop or solving a problem or working on strategy or whatever the heck that is, I take the time to go over that team building and foundation, right? Vulnerable moments and the safe space so that when those questions do come up, you know that you're about to make it better for both parties to hear the other perspective um, so that they can be innovative, creative, and you can experiment because you can't really experiment when everyone wants the idea for themselves or they want to know what the outcome is going to be before it starts type of thing. Um, I'm writing a proposal right now. It's like the longest one I've ever done for the government where I'm supposed to tell them the resources that I need in an experiment that I haven't conducted yet. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, I don't even know what I'm going to do yet. Um, I know that we have to protect the government and the money that we spend, but at the same time, it's like, all right, well, now I, I'm not as agile in doing this thing for you that I know I'll do successfully if you give me a chance to iterate through it, right? 
part of the experiment is getting people together to understand, am I solving the right problem? Where should I go? What do they want? Whatever. The next phase is to actually do some research behind what those line items could be and how they fit. And if you can't get to that point, like they're asking me the questions at that stage that I don't know and won't know until I get there. So I'm, I'm kind of having a, a lot of trouble and angst in, in completing it. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, it's good to know that, uh, you know, we're not the only ones, uh, out here <laughs> that you're, you're dealing with that too, because I mean, that, that's the, that's so frustrating is sometimes you just, we just don't know how things are going to go. I mean, we have models and frameworks and projections, but those aren't always the case. And I would say most of the time they aren't always the case, especially when I've, you know, personally, when I've implemented new technology and the salespeople say, this is how much you're going to save. This is how many man hours you're going to save, whatever it is. But when it comes down to it, like it's, it's, it's almost never that close. So yeah, (laughs) good to know. It's not just, not just me. Um, And you've, you've talked about how facilitation before uh, is a neglected core life skill. I would completely agree having facilitated myself, uh, you know, being an L and D and talent development. And not only can good facilitators get the most out of everyone on the team or in the room, but they can build a strong culture and listen to every voice, especially the silent ones. Those are your words, not mine. (laughs) I don't want to take credit for that. Um, So can you share more about how facilitation is this really is this great, amazing people for a skill? Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of being the unbiased person in the room, right? Um, There's a reason why it's very, very hard. In fact, if you ask any facilitator out there that does any kind of work with strategy or team building or anything, it is very hard to play the facilitator role and have an agenda to try to drive towards because you're torn in two different directions. One is being the, you know, sort of big brother, so to speak. Right. The other one is driving your own agenda, meaning I want this, here's why, here's how, et cetera. So you can't do both. You know, it's like the facilitator is, you know, I I've often said uh, you're, you're mediating right? Which is usually for people that don't agree or they have some kind of conflict, you're mediating between these two parties so that you get the most fair outcome for everybody, which is hard because you need to understand where they're coming from. You need to make sure you didn't misunderstand them. And then you need to understand kind of the whole concept as a whole so that you can, you know, shut the person down who's talking too much, raise to light the person that doesn't speak at all, and be fair about it. So if you want it to truly be a human experience for everyone else, the leadership that you have or the care that you have towards that group is all about making it fair for them also. I mean, how many times have you been in a a class or a webinar or a workshop or something where somebody does something and it's going off the rails and you're like, gosh, I wish somebody would stop this. I wish somebody would like go to break or you know, Tom won't stop talking. Will somebody please get Tom to stop talking? That's my job. 
my job, and I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but my job is to be the person that stops it or starts it. Right. So there's another end of the spectrum there is, is like, Hey, we're stagnant. How do we pick back up, et cetera. So, uh, I think making sure that you always have the whole in mind is, is what it's all about. And I have this very weird thing where I almost see everything that I do in bell curves, like everywhere that I go, everything to me fits on a bell curve somewhere. There's an extreme on the left, there's an extreme on the right. And then there's the 80% that's in the middle. My job as a facilitator is to try to get, definitely hit the mark on that 80%, but try very, very, very hard to hit the fringes of the, uh, the bell curve and, and bring as many people into it as possible. That that's a great analogy. Um, and what I'm hearing you say about facilitation really requires a lens of empathy, right? Is really truly trying to understand those uh, and step into their shoes on all sides. And that can be difficult because a lot of times, at least in my, in my experience, it's not just two parties that you're trying to facilitate, right? Like it's multiple, like sometimes you have, you know, you have different people in, uh, based on seniority or based on position within an organization, uh, they're in different departments, uh, whatever it might be. And, and that's, it's so hard to drive them to what you need them to get to together because they all have these different ideas of like how things should go. And that's so, so incredibly difficult. I totally, I totally get that. And, and, you know, when we think about that experience that you bring into a workshop, I want to extrapolate that to the employee experience because transforming the employee experience to be a positive impact can be, you know, a really big hard sell for a lot of employees as well as leaders, executives. And in the past, you've talked about how proving the concepts immediately, having the right invitations to bring individuals into the space is really important to get them to move forward, right? In those workshops. So while that applied, again, while that applied more to like trainings and workshops, how could that be applied to larger organizational uh, cultures? Like if you want to transform an organizational culture, how would you invite people into that space? That is a, a great question. Um, I think this is a, uh, an answer that uh, probably is used too often, but I think it depends, right? It's not a cookie cutter thing. It's not a one size fits all thing. It depends on what your boss is like and what your coworkers are like and the layers of hierarchy that you have or don't have. Um, it's the culture that you had before you got there versus the culture you want to have. It's the personalities that buy into it and the ones that don't it's there's so many things there that change the answer of that um i would just say um going back to the vulnerable thing like sometimes putting everything on the table and letting everybody know exactly where we are now where are we right now what like good bad and otherwise and it's the bad and otherwise piece that i'm focusing on it's like let's really truly get to the bottom of where we really think we are let's describe to each other where we want to be, why we want to be there, how we think it operates, how it works. Um, 
And then you got to put the pieces together to get from, from one to the other. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, you ask the right questions, you have the right conversations, you um, bring some of these conversations to light, you plus up everyone. Right. Um, I think my, uh, I, I, you've probably heard me say this before, but uh, one of my favorite things that I've heard from a leader is to realize that everybody is on a ladder somewhere uh, and they're on different places of the ladder. Your job as a leader is not to get everybody to the top of the ladder, which most people think it is. It's like, let's raise the bar. Let's make our status quo here. Well, if you have somebody working for you that's at the bottom of the ladder, but they play a solid role for everyone else, then your job as a leader is to keep them there and make sure that they can come up the ladder when they are able, but make sure they don't fall down the ladder, right? Because people can yeah. burn out. They can have stuff going on in their lives where they come down on the ladder of productivity and charisma and, you know, et cetera, but keep them where they are as the, as the leader, provide the safe space for them to be able to keep climbing it, et cetera, I think is kind of the name of the game for, as a leader for any of those organizations, if you can pick apart some of these questions and have some of those conversations and uh, make sure everybody feels like they're part of this bigger machine. Um, I think that rounds out the, it depends answer. Yeah. I, that, so. No, that's a, that's a good, a great way to, to put it. Right. Is again, having this growth mentality, something that I, again, I really appreciate you having and, and being able to do. And that actually, you know, goes into some praise that Kara Jorvik had was she said, John has an amazing energy. His enthusiasm for his work, clients, and family is contagious. John thinks outside the box and his growth mindset challenges his comfort zone. I would, I would whitewater raft with John again, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so again, having this, having this growth mindset and having this, a. Uh, uh, you know, this kind of dive in mentality is so important, especially when it comes to having this amazing, positive and impactful employee experience. Right. And I wanted to go into a, another lesson that you have shared about that you said you took from the lave, the Navy. Well, don't know what I said that <laughs> from the Navy was, you know, there were, there were three big things that you had shared before. It was networking, confidence, and resilience. And I thought networking was really, really interesting. But as you were talking about it, about how you could rumor your initiatives forward, it clicked in my head on how we need to influence our way to change, right? That's what leadership is. And it reminded me of good leaders who took the time to talk with different departments, like how you had talked with different groups during your time of service, to bring your ideas to life. Can you talk more about the importance of leaders being amongst the people to A, build relationships and B, build influence for change? Yeah, uh, I'm going to do that with some maybe analogies and some random thoughts and hopefully bring it together. And if not, I'll ask you what the question is again to make sure I can bring it together. Um, so it's hard because um, you've heard it a million times, but it's lonely at the top, right? So you're a leader, you, you've got nobody that you can really call a colleague potentially. Um, but at the same time, you do want to get down to the level that everybody else is at, but for small spurts, because they only see you for, for these small moments. And so you have to make them count. 
So how do you make them count? Like you can't just be this funny goofball all the time. You can't just be this serious, uh, you know, results driven person all the time. I guess you can. I mean, there's no reason you can't, but I think it's a bigger balance than that. Right. I've had, I've had admirals before where the only way that you saw them is if their executive assistant gave them a bowl of candy and said, go around the building and give this to everybody. And you literally see them for, for a minute and a half of your life. And you're like, that's all, you know, they're the, they're the guy or gal that gives out candy. Um, I've had people before where they, at the end of a, uh, beer on the pier or something like that in the Navy, they'll go and start, they'll grab a trash bag and they'll start cleaning up. And you're like, wow, that is, it's amazing. Right. Because the thing is anybody can grab a trash bag in the middle of a group of people. And it looks like they're doing it to do it. But when you see somebody go to the dark corners and far away from everybody and start cleaning stuff up, you're like, wow, they actually care. They're actually trying to clean up and, or maybe they're just brilliant and they know that they can be seen in the corners. I've never understood what that looks like. It's kind of Mm -hmm. the do the right thing when nobody's looking type of, uh, type of mentality. Um, but I think it's kind of bringing all of those things together. It's the seriousness of that. It's the compassion of the candy thing, but for maybe the right reason, as opposed to just being told you need to do that to save face for people. Um, uh, I, I had another, the CEO of one of my, uh, my second ship, one of the two CEOs that was there when I was there. Um, he would do a every once a week, he would bring, I want to say almost eight people to, to have dinner with. Um, and it was an amazing dinner and he'd ask you questions and you'd have to give your bio before you got there. And he would read the bios and truly understand who he was having dinner with. And he'd have questions for people and uh, made it fun and engaging for everybody. I think there's a time and a place for all of those things to come together Um And I think that's what makes it so hard to be a leader because it's like, how do you manage all aspects of that and still attach it to the influence you want to have to get where you want to go type of thing? That's hard. I don't have the answers to that really, to be honest with you. Well, I think it just shows that it's dynamic, right? It's different and it depends on who the individual is. Um, I've definitely seen, uh, I've been in an organization where it's, it was like that analogy that, or that story that you just used, right. Where it's like, here, here's a bowl of candy or here's a treat, go around and talk to people. Like I was at an organization where the, uh, the president was incredibly introverted. We literally had to schedule him time to sit, to have lunch with people because he was just so uncomfortable being in social settings, but it was like, but you have to talk to the team, right? It's, it's so interesting. Um, but it also just shows that it's necessary. You have to create, create a connection. And as you were sharing the, the trash pickup story, it reminded me of two things. One was, um, Congressman Andy Kim, who after the insurrection riots, right, you saw him cleaning up after, um, all the mess had been after everyone was gone. Like that was an incredible show of leadership. And the other was, um, the, you know, whenever uh, a new cast member gets hired on to Disney at the parks, um, what 
the managers do, right, is that as they're walking their the new cast members around, is they intentionally look for pieces of trash to pick up. Yep. Right. Because that, again, that shows that they care about the parks and they care about the cleanliness and no one is beneath some of those, what a lot of society would say as like gross jobs or like mean, you know, menial tasks or things like that. So again, it's really about showing up in those moments. Heck yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Um, As we're rounding out, um, I did want to just share a quote that I heard and I, I wanted to just say it because I thought it was incredibly meaningful um, to myself. And it was, you had said, the more I'm actually myself, the better I'm being myself, the better job I do. And that really spoke to me because it has everything to do with authenticity and bringing your whole self to work. And by bringing your whole self to work, you can do this amazing job at work. So again, I just wanted to call that out because I, um, I just loved that quote that you had said. So, um, so thank you. Um, as we, as we end and as we wrap the last question I have for you is what is the impact you want to have on others that you lead? Uh, well, I'm going to go back to my, it depends, uh, answer, um, because it really depends on where they want to go. And, you know, I don't want to impact them towards something that, they don't want to achieve or go towards. So I would say uh, something that I have focused on that you've probably heard through sports and whatnot is the the 1% better thing. I don't necessarily believe it in, in the sense of the 1% in literal terms, but it's more of the, how do you make somebody better in, in every way, right? You can't just be amazing at home and suck at work. Uh, you can't just suck at home and be good at work. It's like, if you improve at home in your personal life, you improve in your professional life, period. Well, how, do, how does that happen? And, and how does that get inserted into it? So the impact that I, I would like to leave with people is what element of their life do they need to grow in or be more comfortable with or whatever in order to improve other aspects of their life? So it's kind of like a multiplier effect. What, what element of them do you need to plus up so that the rest are, are better. That's kind of the impact that I want to leave with, with people. That is awesome. Again, it goes back to your growth mindset, my friend. <laughs> that's, that's what I constantly hear, right? Is, is we, we can always be better. We can always learn. We can always, uh, again, um, have a bigger ripple effect than, than just our little drop in the pond, right? And I'll leave you with one last little bit of praise from Joel Garrison, who said, John is an amazing leader. He is smart and caring like our best leaders, but John's greatest gift is as a facilitator. He has natural charisma and interpersonal skills like few people I know. John is a true genius of unlocking the positive potential of human collaboration. Watching him work is a real pleasure that I greatly appreciate. So John, thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. What would you like those who are listening to do next? Uh, well, I think if there's anything that you uh, found interesting, I, I always love bringing people into the world of facilitation and realizing that you don't actually have to be incredible at it to make a difference with where you're at. So if, if you can search on Google for various things to kind of uh, light, you know, keep the spark going or reach out to me on LinkedIn, if you have any questions that I can help you with or point you in the right direction, um, hopefully that you know, you have something in you that 
that I said, hopefully that makes you a little bit better in some aspect of your life or, or gives you the spark. Awesome. John, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. I really appreciate you having me. This was great. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I hope you enjoyed John's stories and realized that there are so many different ways to be a people first leader. If you liked this episode, click that subscribe button and make sure you share this episode to send it to someone who needs to connect with John and maybe needs a master facilitator for their team or company. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on either LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.